At work, at home, or on the road, you deserve great coffee. A Heine Brothers coffee subscription plan gives you top quality organic and fair trade coffee delivered right to your door or office automatically. You select the frequency, the quantity, and the variety of coffee, and Heine Brothers will take care of the rest, shipping included. Also makes a great gift, so order online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com forward slash subscription and use the offer code the past for five dollars off any gift subscription i'm dylan and i'm jackson and this, this is, is the past and the curious with your host mick sullivan he's awesome uh you're awesome gee whiz thanks to my pals dylan and jackson and thank you for pressing play on the past and the curious my name is mick sullivan maybe you noticed that we took a month off it's the first time that we've done that in nearly two years but we've been working hard on some projects and we had some catch-up to do we've got a book in the works and a cd too it's really cool stuff and we're really excited but thank you for being patient and we're excited to be back If you couldn't tell by the title, this episode is all about shipwrecks, but not how you'd expect. Um, It actually came out of a phone call with my friend, Hannah Zimmerman. She works at Locust Grove, which is a beautiful farm, home, and historic site in Louisville, Kentucky. Dates all the way back to the 1700s. You'll get to hear from Hannah herself when it's time for that story. But first, we've got some lives to save with a lady named Ida Lewis. Cold, salty waves rose and fell with a violence that would frighten the boldest of hearts. And the gray sky above brought a blinding snow and whipping winds that seemed to turn the splashes from the tops of the waves into tiny frozen needles. It was not a good day to be crossing Newport Harbor on a boat. But in 1869, the two soldiers on board had no choice but to do so if they were to reach Fort Adams. Unfortunately for them, Mother Nature had other plans. In a flash, the boat overturned in the rough sea, and they found themselves helplessly holding on to the bottom as the boat was now upside down. They were unable to flip it back over in the churning water. It was so cold, they were in grave danger of freezing. As they were fighting against the cold for their lives, there was little to do but try to remain calm and hope for the best. The best showed up a few minutes later. At first, the men were surprised when their rescuer appeared. It was hard to see over the hull of the approaching boat, which was constantly in motion on the wind-whipped sea. But when at last they saw the pilot, one of the men is reported to have exclaimed, with a hint of despair, It's only a girl. Clearly, these men had a lot to learn. In fact, Ida Lewis was in her 20s, and by now, saving people's lives was something she did with such frequency that she thought very little about it. In fact, just prior to expertly rowing her boat out to save these men, she had been huddled near the stove, trying to keep warm as she was recovering from a cold. But as soon as she heard the voices screaming from the overturned boat, she rushed to help, 
not even bothering to put on shoes or a jacket, only grabbing her younger brother for his help. The men need not have worried. Before her father had fallen ill, he had taught Ida exactly how to pull someone into her boat without capsizing it and putting herself in danger. You know, it's generally a bad idea if, while saving someone's life, you wind up in the water. And as far as handling a rowboat in the rough seas was concerned, well, it was understood that there was no man and no woman in Newport, Rhode Island, who was as good as Ida. Originally, when it was decided to put a lighthouse on Lime Rock Island in the harbor in 1854, her father would have to row out to the tower each day to keep the light burning and to make sure everything was okay. If there was foul weather, there was a small structure to protect him, but eventually it was decided to build a home there to accompany the tower. So, Hosea Lewis lived with his family until a stroke left him unfit for the job. Unofficially, his wife became the keeper, but in reality, their daughter Ida Lewis handled most of the responsibilities, like filling the lamp with oil and trimming the wick, lighting the lamp at night and extinguishing it at dawn, and also cleaning the constant buildup of carbon on the reflectors so that the light always shone bright and strong. Between all of this, she rode her siblings to school. It was all in a day's work, and she didn't think anything of it. No, in fact, just like the rest of us, she put her pants on one leg at a time. But once those pants were on, oh, she saved lives. Like the lives of those two soldiers in 1869. With expert ability, Ida, who was a pretty small lady, pulled the men onto her boat like a couple of wet, cold sacks of flour and rowed them back to the island where, after a bit of recovery, they were drier, warmer, healthy, and grateful and totally wrong to doubt her abilities. They thanked her with a gold watch, but her city did one better and thanked her with a parade and presented her with a beautiful new boat made of rich mahogany. It was named Rescue, and Ida decided not to give a speech. She even questioned why she deserved such an honor in the first place. Now go save some more lives, they probably yelled to Ida Wally Zoradia Lewis, which was her full name. That same year, Ida became a celebrity of sorts. Tales of her life-saving prowess captured imaginations around the world through the words of newspapers across the country. But when she was featured on the front page of Harper's Weekly, one of the most popular magazines of the time, her fame really grew. On the cover of the July 31st, 1869 issue was a beautiful full-page lithograph of the confident, capable, and unfailingly brave young woman standing cross-armed and comfortable on the shore as waves crashed behind her. And the picture labeled her as Miss Ida Lewis, the heroine of Newport. Much like the parade, she didn't care about or understand the reasons for all the attention. And it actually became a problem. It's estimated that in 1869, over 10,000 people came to visit, meet, observe, and frankly, bother the woman and her family. It was a tiny island with one home, so these people were all up in her business when she had stuff to do. It was really frustrating for her. But she didn't show any signs of frustration when President Ulysses S. Grant came to meet her. He was the president, of course, and he came all the way out to the little island and all. 
In order to meet the brave woman, though, he said he didn't mind the crossing. In fact, he said, I'd get wet up to my armpits if necessary. But she was worth far more than soggy presidential pits. Eventually, Ida became the official keeper of the Lime Rock Lighthouse, in the process becoming the first woman to hold such a position in the United States. She also eventually saw her salary rise to $750 a year, which made her the highest paid lighthouse keeper in the nation. But on top of all of that, she was awarded a monthly prize of $30 from the Carnegie Hero Fund. Selflessly, she put that money into an account for her brother, who she viewed as the one who would be her successor at the Lime Rock Lighthouse. According to official records, Ida saved the lives of 18 people. But unofficially, people believe the number is closer to 25, while others still claim it's as high as 38 people. Oh, and it wasn't just people. One of her more famous rescues involved a four-legged creature. It seems three men in town were responsible for the care of one very important sheep. The sheep belonged to one of Newport's most prominent citizens, and perhaps the fact that it took three guys to handle the sheep shows us that maybe they weren't the most capable of men. Or maybe this particular sheep was incredibly ornery and did, in fact, need three handlers. As it turned out, they could have used a fourth because, in a flash, like greased fleece, this escape artist of a sheep made a break for Newport Harbor. Once Wooly Houdini jumped into the water, though, he instantly regretted it. In their haste to rescue the creature before he became a sheepsicle in the frozen water, the men grabbed the nearest boat, only to be overturned by a surprise storm. So with all four of them treading water, trying to survive, Ida sprang into action, rowing to the men and using all of her 103-pound body to get them safely on the boat. The sheep! The sheep! You have to save the sheep! Oh, that is sheep speak for, yes, save me too, please. And fear not, friends. Ida Wally Zoradia Lewis paddled back out to sea, and she saved that sheep. Ida Wally Zoradia Ida Wally Ida Wally It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. It's quiz time. Well, you heard him. It's quiz time. Here we go. At the southern tip of United Kingdom sits a beachfront area called Cornwall. Residents there are no longer surprised when a particular toy washes up on the beaches. What toy washes up on the beaches there? In 1997, a cargo ship called the Tokyo Express was hit by a huge wave, which set much of its cargo into the ocean. On board was a container bound for New York, containing 4.8 million Legos. Instead of sinking to the bottom, they have regularly washed up shore. Question number two, do you know which famous candy maker was supposed to sail on the Titanic, but did not? Though he paid $300 for his ticket, Milton Hershey had to leave Europe to tend to a business matter a few days earlier than he had planned, so he left aboard another ship just a few days ahead of the Titanic. 
We're not sure what kind of chocolate emergency prompted him to miss the boat, but he wasn't alone. Rich man JP Morgan and even Marconi, the early proponent of wireless technology, uh, they were supposed to be on board as well. Question number three, your third and final question. How are you doing so far? Two for three, great. The Edmund Fitzgerald is the largest ship to have sunk on any of North America's Great Lakes. Do you know which Great Lake it was? It was a big one. It was the biggest one. It was a superior one. It was Lake Superior. Many people know the story today because of a song by a, a man named Gordon Lightfoot, which memorialized the 1975 shipwreck. If you're wondering why the Quiz Time song is so sad, it's because that is this song, and you can't write a happy song about a shipwreck. Everyone knows America has 50 states today. But surely it won't come as a surprise to hear that it wasn't always quite this way. At the time of our tale, there were just 24, and a man, a hero to all, named Lafayette, was here to see each one in a long and great nationwide tour. Travel was not easy because there were no cars, no trains, and certainly no planes. In the 1700s, steamboats, stagecoaches, horses, or your own two feet were really the only ways. As you can imagine, this made for a long, slow trip, but he was quite a determined man and he traveled little by little with each turn of a steamboat's paddle wheel and every plodding horse's step. Lafayette sailed from France at the president's request. And when he arrived in New York, he swelled with pride and donned a smile a mile wide, for the citizens all cheered and waved for him, their honored guest. There were massive meals in Massachusetts and parties in Pennsylvania. He ate dinners in Delaware and found festivals in Virginia. South Carolinians sang songs and Georgians gave gifts. The most adoring of crowds and excited commotion erupted in every tiny town and each big bustling city to which he went. Dear Marie Joseph Paul Yves Roche Gilbert Dumontier de Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette, you have the longest name I have ever written. This is how we like to believe President James Monroe began his invitation to the famous Frenchman, and after he got that mouthful of a name onto paper, he went on to make an offer that Lafayette couldn't refuse. The fifth president's time in office was near an end, and it was time that people today often call the era of good feelings because, well, a lot of people felt really, really good about things. There was a feeling of unity among many and growing industry was creating a lot of opportunities for Americans. The generation before had fought the American Revolution, and at the time, no one was even sure if America would actually make it as a country. Even the founders said it was an experiment. There were no guarantees it would last long. But by 1824, Americans felt pretty good about things. Well, except for a few things. One big downer was that those people they looked up to as heroes of the Revolution, they were all dying. It's what happens. George Washington croaked back in 1799. All the other generals in the army were buried in the cold ground too. 
Heck, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were barely holding on. They were just trying to live to see the country's 50th birthday, which they did, both dying on July 4th of 1826. But those two never fought, much less led troops. They were politicians. There was only one general from the American Revolution still very much alive. And people absolutely loved the guy. It had been many years since anyone had seen him, though, as he was back in his homeland of France. Dear Marie Joseph Paul Yves Roche Gilbert Dumontier de Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette. We're just going to call him Marquis de Lafayette. It's much easier. The first time the Marquis de Lafayette sailed to America, he was a rich 19-year-old whose noble family had a long history of military skill. Still, his family didn't want him to go fight in the American Revolution. But the idea of freedom, anyone's freedom, meant so much to him that he just left without telling anyone, paying for his ship and crew from his own pocket. When the young man finally met George Washington, he volunteered his services for free. Washington obliged, under the condition that he would never have to call Lafayette by his full name, one might suppose. But before long, Lafayette became one of the most trusted men in the small circle surrounding Washington. He was brave, honorable, brilliantly smart, and adored General George. Before long, George, who never had any biological children of his own, began to view Lafayette as a son. So it was fitting when Lafayette helped lead the troops at the Battle of Yorktown that essentially ended the war. Once he returned to France after the war, he never had to deal with the messy business of running a country, so his reputation remained clean and pristine in the eyes of American citizens. In fact, his legend seemed to grow. To Americans, there was none alive who were more heroic than him, and he loved America. So he jumped at President Monroe's invitation to travel to all 24 states of America to meet the citizens and help them feel a sense of connection to their past. He'd be able to see some old friends in the new country he had helped to found, too. At first, it was smooth sailing when his ship landed in New York City. Two-thirds of the city came to greet him and his party. That was a crazy amount of people. Along with his adult son, George Washington Lafayette, an assistant and a valet, the 66-year-old Lafayette spent 13 months traveling to big cities and small towns in a time before motor vehicles. He stopped at George Washington's grave, Jefferson's home, and he visited with his old friend James Armistead Lafayette, a former enslaved man who had served as a double-agent spy for Lafayette during the war. The man even took Lafayette's name in honor of the general. In each town, he was greeted with parades, parties, dinners, artillery salutes, and bands playing. Men, women, and children lined the streets to catch a glimpse and thank their French hero. Commemorative plaques and plates and gloves and songs filled the shop windows and parlors in honor of the man. It was truly one of the most exciting things to happen in America at the time. But it wasn't all buttermilk biscuits and blackberry pies. Nine months into the journey, a dramatic moment took place. They had taken several steamboats along the Mississippi and Cumberland Rivers and later caught a steamer named the Mechanic up the Ohio River towards Louisville, Kentucky. When they left Nashville, Lafayette's party was joined by several Tennesseans and many other travelers for the ride to Louisville, where in addition to the usual parade and parties, Lafayette was planning to meet some old friends, an aide named Anderson who was with him at Yorktown, and his friends the Crons who lived at the beautiful home Locust Grove, which still stands today. But the night before they were set to arrive, they hit a snag. No, literally. The mechanic hit a snag and started taking on water. 
It was just after midnight, and the many passengers on board were deep in dreams, or else just greeting them, when they were startled awake by a horrible jolt that brought the steamboat to a quick stop. Lafayette's assistant scrambled to the deck of the ship where he found the ship's captain. Together, they observed the ship filling with water. Lafayette! the captain screamed. Quick, bring Lafayette to my boat! Imagine how horrible he must have felt being responsible for the well-being of the nation's most treasured guest while helplessly watching his ship fill with water. The assistant ran back down to Lafayette's cabin, hoping to quickly get him to the small escape boat the steamboat carried in case of emergency. Unfortunately, the many other passengers on board who were also awakened by the ship's sudden stop overheard the captain's exclamations, and a panic set in as they tried to gather their belongings and get off the sinking ship. To everyone's frustration, the panic didn't get a hold of Lafayette. What news? he asked while calmly getting dressed. His assistant replied, that we are sinking, my general, and that if we want to get out, we don't have a moment to lose. While his son, assistant, and valet scrambled to gather their belongings, Lafayette seemed to dawdle, slowly gathering his things, not appearing to be in much of a rush. Finally, his son and assistant grabbed him by the shoulders, but the old gentleman smiled at their petulance as they exited the cabin. He realized he had left something on the table that he didn't wish to lose, and kindly asked one of them to get it for him. Eyes probably rolled and exasperated sighs were probably sighed by the two men. In the rest of the boat, all was hectic. His assistant wrote, At that moment, the rocking of the ship was so strong and so irregular, the tumult above our heads was increasing in such a frightening manner that I believe we would not have time to get out before being engulfed. Finally, they succeeded in getting Lafayette out of the cabin and onto the deck of the floundering steamboat. They struggled through the confusion and commotion on deck, and thankfully, before long, Lafayette and his crew were paddling to safety on shore. Or so they thought. Once huddled on the bank of the Ohio with many of the men, women, and children from the ship, they looked around to make sure everyone in the traveling party was with them. It was only then that Lafayette grew upset. His son was nowhere around! He called into the night for his son, panicked and horrified by the possibilities. The group on the shore grew larger as people swam to safety or arrived on the returning emergency boat, but George never appeared. The possibility of his drowning overwhelmed Lafayette as they surveyed the growing crowd and found him nowhere. His assistant eventually returned to the ship, which was not completely submerged, hoping for a sign of George. Eventually he got it. George Washington Lafayette, seeing that his father was safely on a boat to shore, felt responsible to remain on the ship and help everyone to safety before he would leave himself. It's possible that George tried to tell him at the time, but his words were lost in the commotion and panic of the people evacuating the boat, which made for a very troubling period of time for his loving father. Not long after sunrise, another boat appeared. Though it had left Louisville, the captain was easily persuaded to turn around, not just because of the people trapped on shore, but because the most famous man in America was with them. When Lafayette, his son, and the rest of the weary travelers finally chugged into the city of Louisville, the first part of town they approached happened to be a neighborhood filled with recent immigrants from France. They met their hero with flags, cannon fire, and much exuberance. From there, a horse-drawn carriage traveled down a main street filled with people who were thrilled to finally lay eyes upon the revolutionary hero, Marie-Joseph-Paul-Yves-Roche-Gilbert de Mottier de Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette. 
If ever I get my new hats done, say the way ladies say the way. Gonna give my whole one to my son. Say the way ladies say the way. Don't you rock me, daddy, or don't you rock me, daddy, or don't you rock me, daddy, or don't you rock me, daddy, don't you rock me, daddy, or 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 ain't no use to sit and cry. Say the way ladies say the way. You'll be an angel by and by. Say the way ladies say the way. Don't you rock me. Daddy, oh, don't she rock me, 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 Daddy, oh. Thank you for listening. We have some new Patreon sponsors to thank. So thank you, Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. Thank you, Rick and Maggie in Alabama. Rick and Maggie. And thank you, Steve and Cash in Arizona. Steve and Cash, Cash and Steve. If you'd like to help support the past and the curious, Patreon is a great way to do it. You can search for us on patreon.com or find a link on our website. I'd also like to thank the lovely Hannah Zimmerman for her excitement and great voice. If you ever find yourself in Louisville, I highly recommend visiting Locust Grove. And if you are near Louisville on September 21st, 2018, you might want to go hear the one, the only Sarah Vowell speak about her book, which is about the Marquis de Lafayette. She'll be at Locust Grove. Uh, Sarah Vowell is one of my absolute favorite writers. She is hilarious, brilliant, and knows an incredible amount of history and makes it fun. If you didn't know, she's also the voice of Violet in the Incredibles movies. So check out locustgrove.org for more info. As far as past and the curious, follow us on social media if that's your thing. Leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe, tell someone, be nice to me, to anybody, to everybody. Just be nice to everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you want more great kids programming, you got to check out kidslisten.org. Thanks, guys. Cool. Will you do the name one more time? Mm-hmm. Blah, hold on. It's <laughs> a big name. <laughs> Who names their kid that? Marie Joseph. No, that's too, there's a hyphen.
Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening to, to The Past and the, the Curious. curious.